You're listening to the UBC Medicine Learning Network. Hey folks, thanks for joining us today for a special episode. You're listening to Metamorphosis, a podcast designed to help medical students navigate their careers. My name is Brianna Creelman. I use the pronouns she, her, and I'm a fourth year medical student at UBC Southern Medical Program. I'm very excited to be creating a special episode of Metamorphosis in collaboration with Outreach, a program where queer physicians can be out to UBC medical students, allowing connections and mentorship to develop. Today, I'll be speaking with Dr. Vincent Valdrez. Dr. Valdrez uses the pronouns he, him, and trained in family medicine. He works at Three Bridges Community Health Center in Vancouver, doing inner city primary care. He also works at the BC Center for Disease Control, doing work in sexually transmitted infectious disease, genital dermatology, and public health. In addition to his clinical work, he also teaches dermatology to family medicine residents across all sites at UBC. Before we begin, I would like to acknowledge that I'm recording from the unceded and traditional territories of the Katsi, Kwantlen, Matsqui, and Semiamu First Nations. Here on the Metamorphosis podcast, we strive to represent diversity in medicine. Along with enhancing queer visibility, I hope that we can also increase Indigenous representation in future episodes. My hope for today's episode is to celebrate queer identity in medicine and how it intersects with career development. Dr. Valdrez, thank you so much for joining us today. Hello, thanks for having me. Can you give us a brief rundown of how you came to be in medicine? Sure. It's kind of a loaded question, (laughs) but I think my path to medicine was a little unconventional in terms of not really knowing my whole life that I wanted to go into medicine or wanted to be a doctor. It was kind of something that I slowly fell into more and more. Honestly, it was not until my last year of high school when I started to kind of get an interest in the human body and biology and how that worked. And I think, you know, especially in your youth, in your childhood, your teen years, you're very impressionable and it's very much, um, you're very much influenced by your mentors and how they treat you and how they inspire you. And I had a very inspiring biology teacher. So I started to get an interest in, you know, how the human body worked. I wanted to learn more about it. So what I did, which is a little embarrassing, is... uh, (laughs) I'm very competitive with myself. So basically, I took one of those catalogs that had all the undergraduate programs across Canada um, in biology or something related to that. And I honestly chose the one that had the most competitive sort of application process. So my eye landed on the health sciences program at McMaster University because it said minimum 90% average. And then you had to do an essay and have references for the application. And I said, I can do that. (laughs) I didn't even know what I was getting myself into, but I did it. I got in. I started to learn about more about the human body anatomy physiology which honestly it 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 really you know i had this fascination with it but 
I think the thing that actually drove me to go into medicine in particular was the people around me because the program was very tight-knit. It was a small community. Every year was only 160 students at that time. And everyone around me was applying to medicine. I had no idea people went into this program because they wanted to pursue medicine afterwards. So I kind of looked around and I'm like, well, I guess I should apply to medicine. I mean, everyone else is, and I've been liking what I've been studying. So, I mean, why not? I've been excelling academically. I think I could do it. So, I've, I, I got in, and um, that's kind of how I got into medicine. It was kind of just this path of me trying out things, being open-minded, being honest with myself if I liked what I was learning about and going towards that. I mean, I was a little bit um, influenced by my environment and the people around me, but I never kind of resisted what my heart wanted to do. I love that There's there were a couple points in there where you mentioned mentorship, and that's kind of a theme that I want to touch on today, because I think that's such an important influence in our career development. Vince, where did you go for medical school and then residency? Oh, yeah, good question. So just a little bit of a background. I grew up in Toronto in the Etobicoke area. So I was born and raised there. I went to undergrad at McMaster University. And then my med school was at uh, University of Toronto. So I was it was kind of mix of Mississauga campus slash downtown Toronto. And then I, I, I ended up coming out here, out west to Vancouver for my residency in family medicine. Okay. So you went to the University of Toronto for med school and then UBC for residency. Yes. Can you tell me about your queer identity and how that comes into play in your career? I mean, I like this terminology of queer. I think it's just very all-encompassing. I think it doesn't kind of, well, in my mind anyway, it doesn't kind of exclude certain types of people under the LGBT plus community umbrella. So I do like the word queer. I suppose you could also say gay to describe my sexual identity. It's an interesting question that you ask, you know, how does it play out in medicine? I think it certainly influenced my training. I think it influenced the way that I went through medicine in terms of kind of taking a while to find my voice, kind of taking a while to find my confidence and my mentors, you know, mentors who looked like me, identified similarly. And it's hard to go through any sort of period in your life where you're growing, you're working towards something, you know, you're at a point where you don't have that confidence yet, and you don't really have anyone to necessarily look up to. I think I probably speak for a lot of people in that way, and, and not even in the, in the sense of gender identity or sexuality, like even race. Do they even look like me? Do they have the same colored skin as me? representation, you know, you realize that it does matter, actually. It's not just this like buzzword that we need to kind of speckle into our curriculum um, or into society because we need a diversity hire or whatever. No, it actually, for people who 
have been marginalized for a long time and, you know, haven't seen themselves in these positions of leadership and positions of decision-making and power, you realize how powerful that is to actually see someone like you in those positions. So that's one way. Kind of my delayed confidence in medicine is a way that my sexuality influenced me in medicine. I think now... Now that I've been an independent practice and now that, you know, I do have a confidence in myself and how I am and I can be myself fully, you know, in life and in my practice, I think that influences the way that I practice because particularly in the workplaces that I'm in right now, both of them are workplaces that serve marginalized communities, the inner city population downtown. In terms of, you know, STI work, the vast majority of our patients are from the LGBT, you know, spectrum. So within those sorts of workspaces, the communities are already kind of marginalized in society. And so being someone who is outwardly of the same community, I think instills some sort of implicit confidence in their care provider that, hey, I can immediately trust this person who's caring for me because they somewhat share the same identity. I love that idea of the implicit confidence in their care provider. One thing I've started doing back in clerkship was having some sort of marker on me that identified that I was at least a safe space for people in clinical practice. I'm fairly straight presenting. So people have fairly heteronormative assumptions of me, which is fair, but I find in clinical practice, you know, I want to create a safe space for the LGBT patients that I see. So often I'll wear like a bright rainbow lanyard. I love it because it brings some color to the colorless scrubs (laughs) that we wear in the hospital or even a rainbow bracelet or, or some sort of pride pin. Do you do anything like that? Or how do you kind of convey your queerness? Because it doesn't necessarily come off, you know, like a racial identity comes off just by looking at someone. That's a that's a really good question. Because yeah, a lot of the times you look at someone and you really can't tell how they identify in whatever way in terms of their gender identity, their sexuality. And that is so unique to being queer, right? It's unique to our experience. If you are a dark skinned like me, I don't have to come out as brown <laughs> to everyone. <laughs> there, people can just see it, but you can't necessarily see gay. I think, you know, in terms of visually similar to you, I can be quite straight presenting and kind of, you know, almost masculine in a way. But I think even in terms of, I don't know, this this sounds kind of silly, but I'm, I can be a little bit playful, I suppose, with the choices and the prints that I wear. If I'm, if I want to wear a floral print, I'll wear a floral print 
print. You know, this this hat that I wear in wintertime, everyone loves it. It's this pink corduroy hat that I've never gotten more compliments than anything else in my life. <laughs> like Everyone who sees this hat loves it. And I got it from South Korea. So everyone's disappointed when they ask where I got it from. But it's nice now to, to kind of have that confidence in terms of looking at a piece of clothing or, you know, something that you want to put on yourself to convey your identity and not second, like not having a second thought about it. Like, oh, is this too gay? Will I get too much attention? That sort of a thing. I'm at a place now in my life where I don't have to think about that. I don't care. (laughs) You know, it makes me feel good. (laughs) I love that. Have there been times where obviously there have been times where that's been a thought in your mind? Oh, absolutely. Even back in undergrad, I wasn't out. And that was definitely um, a thought that overpowered. It overpowered uh, the choices that I made because I wanted to blend in. I didn't want to grab any attention and you just don't want to stick out. And so that definitely was a journey to find that confidence and, and you know, get to this point where you just don't care anymore. I think, like like you said, visually, I think I come off as very much hetero, I suppose, I suppose, if you want to say that. But then when I start to communicate and the body language that I use and the inflections in my voice, I think people can tell oh, this, this, you know, this person is a little bit more fun. <laughs> fun. I love it. <laughs> Vince, how did you get to that point? I think it's kind of a, an experience that most people of the LGBTQ community experience is, you know, being a little bit closeted or a lot closeted. And then at some point coming out, how did that look for you? That's a good question. So for most of my life still, I have been very closeted. And it really wasn't until med school that I came out. So like not that long ago. (laughs) So most of my life, I very much wanted to portray the straight person. And that comes from a lot of things. It comes from society where the gay characters that you see on TV or whatever are the butt of a joke. You see it, people in the news are still persecuted for being gay and you get scared. You get scared. You don't want to be the joke. You don't want to be the victim of bullying. So you hide that part of yourself. Another thing is growing up in a very conservative family. I grew up Roman Catholic. And so it's just not allowed. It's not allowed to be gay. You worry that being so close to your family, you worry that this single aspect of your identity would be enough to destroy that. It's it's sad. It's sad to even think and to talk about that the majority of queer people have to think about this. For a lot of people, including myself, for a long time, that was the priority. It was the priority to keep the peace in the family and to not destroy that relationship. And to do that, I had to hide my identity or I felt like I did. So that was the context of where I came from. 
And then in terms of how did I get to this place? How did it, how did I get to this place where I can just be who I want to be? I don't know about to think about it. You can just exist, you know, exist as you are. I know, right? Yeah. I, I can just exist. Uh, what the heck? I can even go to work and exist this way, which is pretty awesome. Amazing. Because, and we'll talk about it later, but going through training, I didn't really see this. So the way that I got here, I think of two big things that happened in life. One was coming out to my family. I think that was a big part of it. And I ended up coming out because it was just at a point where Actually, it's a good question. <laughs> like, why at that time? Wh one of my best friends kind of made me realize that I think it was at a point where I had enough confidence to do so because I was already in medicine. And so he said, you know what, maybe it's because if you think about why a lot of parents are scared about their kids coming out as gay is because they're actually scared for their well-being because they know that gay people have it harder in life and so you coming out when you're already in medicine you have medicine as almost a security blanket like you're good regardless you have a success there and you have demonstrated that even though you're coming out as gay and will be disadvantaged by that you have this other thing to offset this. You have medicine to offset this. Do you, does that make sense? Totally. Yeah. I think like medical privilege, hey, medical provider privilege. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I think that's one thing. I think being in medicine, getting that confidence and that security to be like, hey, I've demonstrated that I can be successful being me. And you don't have to worry about me. So I'm just going to come out. So that's one thing. And then after that, the next couple of years following that, I've just grown closer to my family and my immediate family. And that, that was a journey. So that really increased my confidence to just be unfiltered is not the right word, but I guess unapologetically me. Number two was moving out here to Vancouver because I realized upon reflection, number one, everyone's gay here. I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Not everyone's gay here, but relative to Toronto or, or at least where I lived, there are just so many more gay people here. <laughs> the people are just not afraid to be gay or there's just more gay clubs in the area that I lived here versus like I didn't live in church in that area of downtown Toronto. So I wasn't really part of the gay scene. When I moved out here in Vancouver, I was downtown and a lot of gay people were roaming around downtown. And then the people in leadership, when I was in family medicine training, were outwardly queer. And it was like this, I was like, oh my gosh, you can do that? My brain didn't even know how to process that. You can just be yourself and be flamboyant and be whatever and and secure a position of power it was so foreign to me and then there were people who were brown and and asian and non-binary and women and it was just amazing to see this diversity finally in 
the leadership and the people who were training me. And that was really a catalyst. Coming out to my family, I had I was developing this confidence and then seeing that in my career path, the leaders that I'm seeing now are outwardly this way. I was like, oh my gosh, I can I can just let go. I I don't have to listen to this voice, this this voice that second guesses myself. Do I have to hide this part of who I am? So that's that's kind of how I got here. And then ever since that, I've just didn't have to think about it. That's really cool. How has that been for you? If I were to sum it up into one word, it would be life changing. Um, and I didn't know. I didn't know this. I didn't realize all this that I'm t- talking to you about until years after I've lived here. That within a six-month period of me moving to Vancouver, I knew that I felt like I belonged here. For some reason, I felt it. It felt more like home. And even though I would visit my family a few times a year, and, and the plan was to move back to Toronto after I was done residency, there was such a draw here. And I didn't know what that was. And it wasn't until a couple years later where I realized like that it's because I was able to be myself. I was finally able to be myself, and I found a space to do that. And I think the physical distance, the geographical distance of moving across the country helped because even though I love my family, you know, and we we are so close, we're really close. They're the best. But I think when you have a distance, such a distance from your family, you your own voice starts to come out. And I'm not even talking about for people who are queer. I'm talking about when you grow up, you realize the things you learn are from the people around you and you're influenced by the values of the people around you. It's not until you're isolated from them or you or you know, you have some sort of distance where you start to hear your own values and your own sort of um, thoughts on life and the ways that you would go about, you know, making decisions and, and stuff like that. And that was so liberating for me. I was like starting to hear my own voice. And not only that, developing a community of people here that were so aligned with that. And so that that's what kept me here. That's what kept me here. It's like finding my voice, finding the people who are my people, and just being free and and confident with that and it just feels more wholesome amazing get that stage of your life you know residency moving to vancouver fully living in your own self what age were you probably 28 yeah so like pretty late later right (laughs) can i ask you vince at what point did you realize or know that you were gay or maybe something different? Oh, pretty early. I'd say before adolescence, probably mid to late elementary school, where I, I started to feel for some reason I need to hide this about me. Wow. Yeah. It starts early. Mm-hmm. 
So yeah, it's just interesting to think that you knew there was something to hide about yourself as early as Mm -hmm. elementary school. And then it was 28 years old where you felt like you could truly exist as you were. Yeah. Yeah. That's a long time to stay in the closet. (laughs) I think you and I are on the same page about having visibility and representation in medicine. For me, as a fourth year medical student, it's important to see that representation in my preceptors in leadership. For some of our listeners, it may not be apparent as to why that's important. Can you explain that? Yeah, that's a really good point. I totally agree that not everyone grasps the concept or the importance of representation. You know, why does that really matter? particularly for people who are queer. Okay, you're a a medical student. You're a learner in medicine. Medicine is like the worst. (laughs) It's like you need to know everything. You need to impress everyone. You're dealing with sickness, health, life, and death. The stakes are so high. The demands are so much the gravity of the situation is overwhelming. You have to deal with all of this. This is all going through your head. Now, imagine someone who has this baggage, this baggage. They've been going on, and I'm not even talking about medicine anymore, their own personal baggage. They're going through life, hiding this person who they are. They're feeling insecure about something inside them. And they have lived a life thinking that they're not allowed to be themselves and whoever they are or this part of who they are is not meant to be successful because you don't see that success so if you all of the sudden have a mentor or or maybe they're not your mentor maybe you just see them in power enjoying metamorphosis check out some of our other podcasts like women's health interrupted Exploring women's health issues through scientific inquiry and storytelling. Rate, review, and subscribe to UBC Medicine Learning Network podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audible, and your favorite podcast platform. Join our community on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at UBC MedVid. If you have someone who you look up to, or you have a teacher who shares this identity, let's say queer, this identity that you have, It gives you permission to not think about that in that situation. It becomes a non-issue. You're alleviated from that burden, at least in the context of you with this mentor. Now you can deal with the medicine and you can learn. You can actually unload that from your heart and focus on learning what you came there to do. Totally. And it makes me think of when I did my elective at Three Bridges with you, Vince. And back to what you said about moving to Vancouver, and you said, everyone's gay here. (laughs) I felt the same way when I landed at Three Bridges Community Health Clinic, because I usually live in Kelowna, and there's gay people there, but nothing is like Vancouver. And I'd never practiced in medicine surrounded by other queer folk. It was 
amazingly affirming. Mm. It was a really cool space to learn in because I just felt like I could be myself because I saw myself in so many other people working there. It was really, really cool. It alleviates one of the pressures that you mentioned about all of the things that medical learners are trying to manage. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. And there are people who are part of more minorities than me. Like imagine you have to deal with being non-binary. Let's say you're black. Let's say you're all non-English speaking. Let's say you're burdened with all of these things that make you disadvantaged in our society, unfortunately, at this time. And you're just here to do medicine. But you have all of this baggage that's weighing you down. How in the world are you going to be able to effectively do what you're here to do? And so it's, it makes me happy to hear you say that everyone here at Three Bridges is gay. And I just don't need to worry about my gayness. That's exactly what I want to convey. Yeah, I've never really experienced anything like it. It just made it even more apparent to me how important it is to have that representation. You want to see yourself reflected in someone who's been successful in the career path you're going for. So Vince, I'm currently going through the CARMS process. When you went through the residency application process, were you out in your applications? Because that's kind of a big question for medical students these days, and I'm sure before us, is are you out in the residency application process? That's an interesting question. In terms of the paper application, I was not out. I think it just didn't feel like it belonged in the paper application. Like It didn't feel like it would really make a difference. And sharing that part of me, I felt didn't have any bearing as to where I ended up or what specialty I ended up in. However, I do remember in interviews, it sometimes would come up, for example, with the St. Paul's program for people who would ask me about why I would be so interested in something like that. It became relevant in the sense of demonstrating a sort of common understanding of being marginalized and being of a population that is underserved. And so it felt genuine, it felt authentic, and it felt like it made sense. I felt like it made sense in that context. So in that case, I was out. But for the most part, I don't think it was relevant for me. I'm curious, though, uh, because you asked the question, What are your thoughts about that? For me, in my residency application process, I think it will, I think it'll organically come up for me because what I want to do in medicine is work with queer populations. This kind of leads me to my my next question and kind of the crux of our chat today, mentorship in medicine. For me, mentorship is important. I garner a lot from community and chatting with other people, learning about their experiences and and how I can apply others' learnings to my own life. It's nice when you have people in your life that you can look up to for examples of what they've done. 
And I think through medicine, through my personal life and through medicine, from a queer perspective, I've always been kind of searching for mentors. It's been challenging to find that mentorship. And that's one cool thing of this, the outreach initiative that we've created at the UBC Faculty of Medicine will help future students with. And Vince, I think you previously mentioned to me that you didn't have much for queer mentorship in medicine. Did you have any mentorship at all? Or did you have any sort of queer mentorship outside of medicine? How has mentorship shown up in your life? It's a really good question. Queer mentorship is hard to find when when you grow up and not only are a lot of people closeted, but you yourself are closeted. So, I mean, you don't even allow yourself to find that mentorship about a part of your identity that you don't even accept yourself. So I think that was a big barrier for me for a long time. Because I didn't accept that part of myself, I didn't search for it. I didn't want to. It's kind of a common feeling, I think, of a lot of queer people where you think to yourself, gosh, wouldn't life be so much easier if if I was just straight? I I wouldn't have to deal with all of this stuff. I wouldn't have to listen to this voice at the back of my head. Because of that voice, I didn't seek queer mentors or queer community or queer friends. Going through undergrad and medical school, the faculty and the teachers and mentors that I had, they didn't present that way either. They didn't present queer. I didn't have anyone who I necessarily could look up to going through medicine. And that made it challenging. That made it more challenging to accept myself. I was already not accepting myself, so not seeing the success of this part of my identity also kind of perpetuates that feeling of not wanting to lean into that identity either. And so it wasn't until I moved out here to Vancouver and like you said, everyone at Three Bridges, which was my first uh, clinical rotation, everyone at Three Bridges is gay. (laughs) And just seeing that play out in a professional setting, in medicine, in positions of leadership was just so not eye-opening. Eye-opening is an understatement. It was just like the world was flipped upside down. (laughs) You know, it was like, this is okay. This is okay. And I can be myself. And that's when I started to develop mentorship, sort of relationships with people who were identifying as queer. You had your first elective at Three Bridges through the St. Paul's residency program. How did your career develop from there? Did you have an idea of where you wanted to go within family medicine? Or did it kind of organically evolve based on where you were? Good question. It definitely evolved. I was one of those people who went into residency and I didn't know how I wanted my practice to look like. So for all those people who feel that way, it's a common feeling. I think it's not necessarily something that people share because it's kind of an awkward thing to feel not confident about where your life is going. But what I would say is that you need to keep an open mind and honestly just 
go with what your heart is saying and where your happiness is telling you to go. So the, my first rotation at Three Bridges was pivotal, I think, because I honestly, this sounds really weird, be, you know, like ending up at the St. Paul's program. I honestly wasn't really certain if I wanted to deal with inner city medicine. I didn't know if that was, you know, contrary to many of my colleagues in the same cohort, they applied to St. Paul's because they wanted to, you know, stick with this sort of patient population. And though I did have some exposure to it, I didn't know if I wanted to shape my career around this. When I had my experience at Three Bridges, it showed me that, number one, I can be myself in my work, and also... It kind of was a space for me to, it's it's a little hard to articulate, but like visually, me being of a minority, i.e. being darker skinned, being gay, it somehow felt like an advantage in this, in this setting. It felt like because I was outwardly othered, that people who were also feeling othered could automatically trust me because there was less of a visual hierarchy between me and the patients. Of course, I don't necessarily look like you know my patients in, in all the ways, but there is something humbling about seeing someone who doesn't traditionally look powerful, who doesn't traditionally look like a physician, Honestly, actually, I would say that about a lot of the physicians at Three Bridges, we don't necessarily dress or present ourselves in a way that is traditionally like a doctor that you would see on TV, the ones that get interviewed, the ones that are the spokespeople of whatever organization. We don't look like that. We're very down to earth. And I kind of felt like... I, I could leverage that. I could leverage my minority presentation to to get people comfortable quickly. And because of that, and because I felt like I was able to develop rapport so well with the patients that we see at Three Bridges, it just gave me such a joy. It just gave me such a joy to like, number one, be myself. Number two, to be humbled by the fact that you can literally relate to anyone. You can relate to anyone on this earth because we're all human. We all go through whatever and we all exist. So as different as you can possibly be or look like to someone, there is always something that you can relate to. And that was something I learned working at Three Bridges is just, you know what? We're all people. And this is kind of how I want to practice medicine, is that human approach. So that was pivotal in, in you know, I, I guess, staying there, number one. 
And then number two, how I ended up at the STI clinic was kind of similar. It was like uh, Three Bridges kind of planted the seed that like, hey, I can really do well in these workspaces where I deal with marginalized populations because I kind of look like a marginalized population myself. So that Three Bridges planted the seed in my head. And then when I got this elective at the STI clinic, I was like, oh, wow, marginalized population again. I love clinically what I'm doing. And so it just kept me there as well. It was an open-minded approach. It was, I didn't know I liked STIs. When I tell people that I work at an STI clinic, the initial reaction is like, why? How did you even think about that or get there? And it was actually because of Three Bridges, because after Three Bridges, and I knew that I kind of wanted to work in that environment, I thought to myself, hey, I think I should know about STIs because it's pretty relevant to the inner city work that I do. That's why I did the STI elective. And then I ended up being blown away. I'm like, I love it here. I love this type of work. And that's what kept me there as well. So I think it's just important to be open-minded and, and you just just do what you love. It, it, sometimes you kind of just have to dissolve this idea of what you think your life is going to be or what your practice is going to look like because something just might grab your attention. And I think you should probably pay attention to that sometimes. That's great advice for our listeners. And in terms of your career development, it sounds like your queer identity played a significant role because number one, you've, you mentioned that you could be yourself at work. And then number two, your identity gave you experiences that you shared with your patients. Totally. It reminds me of one thing I do is portfolio for UBC. So currently my group, I followed them through first year, they're in second year. They're such an amazing group and we have the best conversations and we go deep. And this most recent talk that we did was on diversity, inclusion, and equity. One of the students said, we were talking about representation and all that. And one of them said, when are we going to see diversity as a qualification, like a strength? And I just thought that was the most interesting concept because we kind of think of it backwards. Like we kind of think of all these people who are applying for this job are qualified, but we need to consider diversity. We need to make sure that everyone has an equal opportunity, whereas what my student was saying was the reverse. When is the person who is diverse, when is that the qualification? That made me think about my own experience. And that's kind of what I was trying to articulate with my experiences at both of my workspaces that I have learned subconsciously to use my diversity as my power. I found power in my diversity and that part of my identity. And that's a really cool thing. It's a really cool thing to go from the beginning of our conversation of being closeted for like 20 plus years and not wanting to be part of that identity at all. I wanted that part of my identity to disappear. And now being able to say that I actually use it to help people is pretty incredible. 
That is pretty incredible. In the work that you do, you're finding your diverse background to be an asset. And it sounds like that's not only your perspective, that's your patients' perspectives as well. And it makes sense. We have a diverse population, so why don't we have diverse providers? Exactly. I totally agree. It's like our people taking care of us should look like us. We should be a microcosm for what society looks like. You're totally right. We're, we're so diverse. Everyone looks so different. Let's just take Vancouver as a small example. The people serving us should look like us. I mean, that's just how it is. And anything besides that is honestly just systematic racism. It's just uh, people hate to admit it. But that's how society was built for so long. And uh, maybe I shouldn't just say systematic racism, systematic discrimination, I should say. We were just disadvantaged for so long, and we didn't have the opportunities. And so now we're playing catch up, right? These sorts of institutions are playing catch up with society, which is evolving faster than our medical community is. And now we're having these talks about diversity finally, and we're talking about representation and it's starting to change. But yes, totally. It's like we should look like the rest of society. Agreed. Diversity as an asset and visibility and representation as essential pieces in the process of medical school, learning and life, frankly. Vince, is there anything else that you wanted to add today? Well, I just, just to bring it home, I think it's pretty amazing that people like us who have gone through medicine, you know, we, we are where we are. And it takes some level of survival skills in terms of surviving in a society where we weren't accepted. So, you know, we had to survive, we had to hide, we had to blend. And I just hope that conversations like these, that it kind of changes the narrative in terms of we don't have to think about survival anymore. We can just think about thriving in what we want to do. It's pretty powerful to have a discussion about this stuff of, uh, from, from the perspective that we come from and from the perspective of the struggles that we've had to face to get here. So I thank you for doing this and for having this conversation that's going to be heard by a lot of people who need to hear it. And that was my hope for today was to help shine light on the queer identity and how that intersects with career development in medicine. Thanks for sharing so openly with us about your experiences. I really appreciate that about you. Thank you so much, Vince, for joining us today. Thank you for having me. As always, thanks for joining us on Metamorphosis. For more episodes, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. Until next time. This has been a presentation of the UBC Medicine Learning Network. 